you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com, and thanks for listening to the Fanboy Planet podcast. I am uh, podcasting from Burbank, California, and somewhere in the greater uh, San Francisco Bay Area. In the Brett Cave is, of course, podcast producer and color commentary. Rick Brett Snyder. Yay, welcome back. And I say welcome back because I'm really the one that went away, but I'm, I'm taking the blame. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing the blame somehow. I don't know. Anyway, it's, uh, it's good to be back, uh, and... Uh, we, we, we're going to talk today about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and I really wanted to have this conversation, even though we are recording this on, uh, Rick, I, I'm sure you're aware this is, we're recording this on Batman Day, but we're going to talk Marvel. And uh, why I wanted to was, a, anybody who has listened to the podcast for a long to- time may know that Rick is uh, a huge Shang-Chi master of Kung Fu fan. Back and, when he was Shang-Chi. Back when he was Shang-Chi? Well, or back when we just did not know how it was supposed to be pronounced. Because, I mean, how often did you hear it aloud? But before we get into this conversation, I do want to say that any anything we talk about on this podcast, uh, we are, of course, uh, affiliated with Amazon and Bookshop.org. And so that uh, any uh, anything that you wish to purchase for yourself and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, because I do want to encourage supporting your local businesses, but if you can't find it at your local comic shop, you can, of course, take links on, on fanboyplanet.com and there's an Amazon search box. We are affiliated. Therefore, your purchases may generate a commission for this podcast. So uh, thank you in advance if that's the way you go. And if you are able to find your local shop, I appreciate that because I really want to keep all the local comic shops alive. You know, I'd say at least 99.9% of them deserve it. You know, so... Anyway, uh, of course, if you want to be part of the conversation, and we hope that these conversations will get a little more regular as I've got more furniture established and can do the podcast on hopefully a more regular basis, uh, that uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, there's a fan, at Fanboy Planet. You can follow us on Twitter at Fanboy Planet, Instagram at Fanboy Planet. And of course, you can write in with any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticisms to editor at fanboyplanet.com. So let us dive in. We are, uh, this is the third weekend uh, we're recording this that Shang-Chi has been in theaters. Yes. Which uh, I should also mention. Not that I necessarily think this is a sign of any any film's quality, but it has been number one in the box office two weekends in a row. May very well be three weekends in a row. I just don't know. This is Saturday. They won't brag about that till Sunday. Um, but it did break Labor Day box office records, even in uh, the what I would like to say uh, the tail end of uh, the pandemic and the shutdown. Who knows? But I, I want to be optimistic about that. But did very well. I ventured out to a theater. I assume you did as well. And uh, so 
Yeah, I mean, first let's let's talk a little bit about the film itself and your reaction to it, and and my reaction to it, because I think the difference between us is, though I have read some Shang Chi comics and some I've gone back into the Marvel Comics Unlimited app and read uh, the earliest appearances, and I've read when he's been in other uh, other books, and I've been certainly enjoying the last year what Jean Luen Yang is doing with uh, with Shang Chi. But I don't consider myself in any way, shape, or form an expert the way I might be, say, in like Batman continuity. Um, in fact, I'd like to I'll scrub some of the Batman continuity from my mind, but and maybe maybe make room for Shang Chi. But I, you know, I don't think it was necessarily a perfect film, but I enjoyed it. I was just so happy to be part of the experience again, of seeing a Marvel movie in a theater, and uh, I thought it was fun. I love Simu Liu. Uh, I, I thought uh, Tony Leung playing his father was fantastic, but I recognized very early on that this was a very different character than what I was reading in comics. Uh, so, you know, it was fun. I appreciated the bow towards mythology, uh, from, from China, uh, as it, as it shifts. And I think at this point, like we can give spoilers, right? I mean, it is week three. Oh, right? I think so. Yeah. That, you know, I've been kind of unplugged from uh, from rumors, mills, and so forth, and I don't, I haven't been checking sites as often and keeping up with the news. So, I had hoped that Ben Kingsley's Trevor would appear again, and you know he did, uh, and it still came to me as like this delightful surprise, and I loved the character and Trevor Slattery, and I, I just, I, I really enjoyed that. That feature, and of course, I had no idea that Morris was going to appear as a character. I don't even know. I, I doubt that Morris is in, in the comics, so he, I'm sure Morris will be in comics, or it's certainly in Disney stores or Disney shop, shop Disney online. Um, that uh, you know, that part, that third act was really a, a great surprise, and I, I loved that this film also made nods to the larger Marvel universe, cinematic universe without getting bogged down. Some of the movies that have tried to tie in continuity, I don't mind when a post-credit scene sets up the next thing. Yeah, all bets are I, off there. I don't like to get bogged down in the middle of a film. Like, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron and Iron Man 2 are both movies in which they spent so much time stopping to tell you how this fit in the rest that it, it hurt the movies. Whereas this, I, I think it was very, it was very organic and you see the abomination and, and, uh, Wong, but you don't have to stop. Not that there's a lot of time to stop, but it was kind of funny because after that, after those appearances happened, I was like looking for Easter eggs in every single set design. <laughs> and, you know, so like, is there more, what is happening? You know, but they really only alluded to the snap and, uh, or to the blip. I'm sorry. If you're in the Marvel cinematic universe, it was the blip outside. We call it the snap. Right. Um, so they alluded to the blip, but again, didn't stop. So, and I do think that it opened up um, a viewpoint into certainly even uh, yeah, uh, culturally to uh, other just things about home life and so forth. The taking the, the shoes off, the you know the the family orientation that we really outside of maybe Hawkeye, uh, Jeremy Renner's family in the Avengers films, we really haven't seen much of that. Truly, kind of a this is how they fit with their families. Maybe a little in Ant-Man. Uh, 
Yeah. And I, so I really appreciated that. So, you know, that's, that's me again, that's coming at it from, I don't really, I'm not, had not been a Shang-Chi fan, though. I like your son who we have nicknamed Shang-Chi. Uh, you know, he's just fine, but I'm, you know, uh, I, I'm not a person who who's, you know, I don't have the omnibus on my shelf. I have it right here. I can't <laughs> lift it. But anyway, go ahead. It's it's right beside me where it always is. Yes. So, uh, oh, your fantastic right arm. It is so muscular because you just carry that wherever you go. I I I agree with you. I think it was it was an excellent film. Um, it was it was kind of divorced from the energy we get from a lot of the other films where they are so tied into what's been going on in the Marvel universe. So it, it was really standing on its own through most of it. I mean. You know, all, all of it, really. Uh, small, small portions, as you mentioned, of uh, notes about people on TV or you know the blip or whatever. But uh, nothing that was fundamental or essential to the to the to the film as a whole. And the third act, really, I mean, it was such such an homage to the the whole flying sorcerers genre of Japanese or Chinese films, Chinese and Korean films. Um, the the whole idea of a of a hidden hidden valley a hidden temple a hidden uh, society where something is being protected or or imprisoned or otherwise magically restrained um, mm-hmm. it, that's that's you know right out of right out of the uh, out of the whole genre of uh, flying sorcerer I think it's Wuxa uh, film yeah that's uh, thank you I was trying to come up with that word in my head. And I, if you want to tie the comics continuity, I had read, and I again, because it, it, it ties into the other character, major Marvel character, I, I really don't know that well, um, which is Thor. Apparently that village, the name of it at least, as an extra dimensional uh, village, was uh, from, appeared first in Thor and not in Shang-Chi. Oh, really? Cool. Do we want to talk about the differences between the movie and the comics, or do you want to still... Well, I, you know, I'll just say, let me let, let's enthuse a moment about what the film did. That's fascinating. When you say the, the larger, I I really gasped and loved that the big bad uh, was the dweller in the darkness. Yes, and that, that was opening a whole thing. If you've been watching what's on Disney Plus, right, that you're you're seeing, um, you know, WandaVision, you, you're seeing. Uh, her want to become the Scarlet Witch and knowing that, okay, mysticism's coming out. I mean, we've already had Dr. Strange, obviously, so he's been there for a while, but that you're going to start going into that Lovecraftian horror, which I think that the multiverse of madness really promises us. And, you know, a lot of people are, are believing that what if will somehow tie in, which I kind of would like to see because I would like, uh, you know, Haley Atwell to return as Peggy Carter and we just have Captain Carter and I'd like to see her in that outfit and really kick butt. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I want her to be a superhero. No, um, the, the, the Dr. Strange, uh, Lovecraftian, although they, they created most of their own new characters right. uh, for it. That's one of, that is absolutely my favorite Dr. Strange sequence. I think it was mm-hmm. an, wasn't it Marvel Spotlight, or he didn't have? It wasn't his own book at the time. I don't think. Maybe Marvel no, Spotlight. right, because I I know I picked up a couple of really really battered copies of it. Yeah. To research for a, you know, for a, a pro fan trivia match at, at Comic Con. So, uh, pardon me while I just get nostalgic for Comic Con and being in person. 
<sighs> anyway, um, you it know, so big yeah, art. Fun, but it, you're right. It wasn't a Doctor Strange title. It was it was one of the Spotlight books. I don't know if it was Marvel Premiere or Marvel Spotlight. Uh, they, they introduced Silver Dagger, which has been a, a character who's who has actually been fundamental in a lot of follow-up stories. Not even doc, not just Doctor Strange. I'm I'm a big H.P. Lovecraft fan too. So when I was reading that, it was like, oh, this is this is this is the crossover I've been waiting for. And can I give you a side thing? Because I'd forget otherwise when we start recording. But I'm actually I actually live fairly close to the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. I'm afraid to walk into the building, but I've seen several <laughs> times. Yeah. Take salt. Yeah. Take salt with you. Yeah. I, I, I say I, I live near the Los Angeles dimensional entrance. Um, so portal. But uh, yeah, I, I, I loved where they were going. And it made me, uh, out of all the villains, you know, Shang-Chi's father, certainly, I, you know, I can't erase that he was a you know, thousand-year-old warlord. Um, causing chaos across the, the globe. But uh, I certainly could understand his motivation to that point, you know, the, the, the way the Dweller in the Darkness had, had lied to him. And I thought, you know, that's, a, that's, that's an interesting nuance I can get behind that, that uh, you know, from that perspective, I, I, I thought the script was something that kind of changed it up a little bit, and I, and I appreciated that. Uh, so that you know, this is a chance to talk about the shift because if you go into the beginning of this, I remember when the first trailer came out and you made a comment that you know it wasn't it wasn't made for you, um, and, and which is something we always say all the you know we we say often that you know we understand that uh, we're aged fans who have you know, been reading comics for most of our lives and that's 40, 50 plus years. And, um, you know, so we've seen a lot, but when I've gone back to the comics, the thing that I thought was in common up front was, okay, I knew they couldn't make it Fu Manchu. And I do want to call out if, you know, someone wants to take a Fu Manchu riff that works very well for 2021 or 2022, whenever you're listening to this, is TKO Studios' The Fearsome Dr. Fong by C. Chun. And I thought that was a way to take that kind of trope. They can't use Fu Manchu, although he is named that way in the Marvel Comics Unlimited, at least the digital versions. I don't know if the Omnibus has made an attempt. No, they didn't. They, they left it as Fu Manchu. They just, there's no way they could excise that. But, well, and it's never really the title character, right? So, no. Um, so you know they they did that. Then you then for years we thought that was going to become the Mandarin, and that they found a way to shift that and turn it on its head. Recently, and, they've he's Zheng Zhu. Yeah, and Zheng Zhu, and and he's had a number of different identities over the years, which totally makes sense. Which yeah. which allows him to have been Fu Manchu. So. Yes, if you want to read that into it. So I thought, you know, that was a, a good term. But when I have gone back and read those first, uh, those early stories, it was to me a combination of, and I think this is, and partially influenced, I think, by you telling me this, that my, that they were kind of like a, a, a martial arts take on 
uh, globe-trotting James Bond story. Oh, definitely. Well, and I thought maybe that's what we were getting. Well, let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, I know absolutely. That's what I'm trying to transition to for yeah. you. Is you know that's where the difference is, and I think, and I'll just before we leave the the film itself, is I think the thing is that Kevin Feige has always tried to say that each film covers a different genre. And I just, I'm wondering if their thought was, well, Black Widow really was the James Bond film. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I think it was, a, I don't think it's that conscious. It was a Black Widow I just, movie. I think it was, it was definitely, it was the Red Room story. So. Yeah. But it's a spy thriller, you know, they've yeah. already done the spy thriller. They've done the political thing with, with um, the winter soldier. Yeah. So. You got to, you know, you you need to now take this this character, this first Asian American superhero in the Marvel Comics universe, at least, uh, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, and do something that's, that's truer and and more culturally conscious. So there is that shift. Well, they did now, they did one other comics. thing before we before we leave. The, uh, there was one other thing that I really liked and I was really worried about, and that was the Aquafina character, Sally. Cut. Katie. Katie. Um, and when I saw her, I'm, I was I, I was really worried about how, how her style of comedy was going to work in the film. And it actually worked pretty much on point. It was, it was very, very fun. She got scared in the right places. She said the right kind of stuff. And I was so glad that they, they had a buddy film. That was yeah, a man was and a woman who were not romantically. I've read the interviews and they said that. Yeah, uh, I appreciated that too. So the question I have with that is: Is there an analog to that character in comics, or was she pretty much created whole cloth for the film? There's, there's not really one in the comics for not for Shang Chi. Yeah, yeah. That's but, okay. No, that's you know I, I I like that. So let's you know let's go back to those early and I. This is my guess. You probably picked them up on the stands when they first came out. All of them, yeah. So, again, I never read it. I was aware in the 80s when um, Gene Day was the artist, and I, I knew I was starting to figure out who Paul Galassi was. It was mostly he, Paul Galassi, and yeah. Jim Starlin started it. Yeah, but near the end of the run in the 80s, yeah. I, I think the artist was... Gene Day, or, or oh, maybe it was a, yeah, no, I think it was Gene Day. Yeah, uh, it was an artist who who passed away um, all, all very shortly after the book was canceled. I, I remember that uh, in the eighties. So you know, again, starting to become aware of the larger behind the scenes stuff in a way that I certainly didn't know as an elementary school kid. You know, picking these up at Seven Eleven or Rexall. Um, you know, so that's. So, you know, what drew you in? Because the other thing I'd say is, like, the whole, for lack of a better phrase, the kung fu craze yes. in, in the culture totally passed me by. You know, I, I just, I was a little too young. My parents were a little too socially conservative. I, guess. I don't know how to, they were kind of uptight. You know, and not, it's not to cast an aspersion. It's just, you know, they were uh, they were elementary school teachers. They were, were living in that, focusing on that. We were not, you know, it, what was going on in pop culture was not really getting into the house, shall we say. So, um, 
we played with GI Joes. We, we I wasn't I was too young to see, you know, Enter the Dragon in the theater. So all of that missed me, other than the ads for Count Dante in the back of Marvel and DC Comics in the early seventies. <laughs> so the deadliest man alive. But I don't. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it totally escaped me. I never read Richard Dragon. I didn't discover any of this until I'd say maybe when Denny O'Neill re- rebooted the question in the '80s, and Richard Dragon showed up as his uh, as his fighting his trainer. Yeah. No, there and, was there was in yeah. the in the '70s there was a lot of transition in film heavily into the black exploitation market. And then they started bringing over the uh, Jackie Ch- Jackie Chan and um, uh, a lot of yeah. films that were badly dubbed and badly shot. And then they finally came out with one that was just amazingly shot, well written, actors that everyone that people might recognize, and Bruce Lee, and that was Enter the Dragon, and that just broke everything apart for um, for follow ups and. We got on television. We got uh, Long Street, which had Bruce Lee in it, and we got uh, uh, Michael Caine in uh, Kung Fu. Not Michael Caine. No, David Carradine. <laughs> David Carradine in in Kung wow. Fu. No, who I, played? I, I, I remember seeing who played that. Kane. It was not. A, it was not a show I, I that like caught my attention. I remember seeing it. But oddly yeah. enough, Marvel wanted to do yeah. a Kung Fu book and they couldn't come to terms with it so they decided to make their own character and they had gotten the rights to do something with Fu Manchu yeah so they combined the two and a lot of the early stuff is directly because not necessarily because Fu Manchu was in the book but the supporting characters from the Fu Manchu book Dr. Petri, uh, Sir Dennis Nalen Smith yeah who were essentially uh her Majesty's Secret Service at that time, who were who were on assignment to track down the insidious Doctor Fu Manchu's plots and ploys throughout the world, mm-hmm. um, and to this they they decided to make a let's look, just throw some issues out there. And in fact, as we we kind of mentioned before, it was not in Shang Chi did not have an issue number one ever um, until until recently. When in the la- in one of the uh, limited series that came out, that was actually the first n- number one uh, Master of Kung Fu book. It, the the uh, special Marvel edition had been um, four originally, and then Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Mm-hmm. So what a lead in to a, a Kung Fu uh, superhero we had, and it was uh, Marvel special edition featuring. The Hands of Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. And of course, you had uh, Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin, which that's just a killer combination right there. Well, absolutely. Starlin's, and- Starlin's graphics were just coming coming up to what we begin to expect from him. We from- see now, yeah. And, and can I say at this point, for anybody, if you read it through the digitally and you go through a panel-by-panel panel view rather than page view, I am blown away issue by issue, even when the story may be very racist. Um, <laughs> I'm blown away by how cinematic it is and almost like they're animatics. Like he constantly is doing panels 
that when you when you swipe three panels in a row, he was constantly doing panels that when you swiped like three or four in a row, it they moved. Yes, it was just, it was astounding. And it's, it's the layout. It's the it's a base layout of the page that does that. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's just gorgeous. I just want to you know call that out. Those are definitely worth looking at from a stylistic perspective. Stalin did the first two issues. The second issue is, has never been one of my favorite ones. The first one sets everything up. You have the son of Humanchu, who has been trained to be an assassin, goes out on a, on a quest to kill an old man. He doesn't know it's an old man at first, but he does it because his father told him to do it. And he gets caught in the act, and they find, we find out that he has killed Dr. Petri, uh, Sir Dennis Neal and Smith's longtime uh, companion in hunting Fu Manchu. And Smith had his legs crushed. He actually pulls up his pants, and you can see his ankles and his feet are made out of wood. It's a very shocking image from, from in the 70s. Yeah, certainly if you were 10 years old. Yeah, that's just, I, that, that was that was amazingly shocking. He's in a wheelchair, but, you know, and, and Shang-Chi leaves and confronts his father and finds out that about his his uh, situation and, and decides that he's not going to be his father's uh, uh, so assassin. So with the names changed, with the names changed, that part of the origin is somewhat consistent with the film. Or the film is yes. consistent with the comic. Yes, definitely. Again, we, and each one of the books had a little note that said it says featuring supporting characters created by Sax Romner, who wrote the Fumanchu stories, and that was that was the way it, that was carried through like the first fifty issues or so. I mean, they didn't really start dropping that and going off on other things, but there was a lot of really cool stuff that happened there. So that was issue number fifteen, is the first one, and then. I, I'm, I'm going to note the, the important issues, in my opinion, because you had issue 18, um, which is where we first see Paul Galassi. And as you mentioned, uh, Starlin had a cinematic uh, layout and, and kind of tempo to his, his drawing. Galassi was highly influenced by Starlin, trying to imitate him, but he himself had a very fluid um, anatomy uh, oh, I love Galassi's work, yeah. and it was perfect for Kung, for Kung Fu. He could put he could put people in the strangest positions, and it would still look natural. It would still look right for them. And Galassi's just if you think about the the master Kung Fu lineage, Galassi is like the pinnacle of representation. There, we have a lot better artists now as far as doing uh, very intricately human realistic, but as far as as far as getting a feeling to it, Galassi just, he's, he's like the Kirby of, uh, of Kung Fu. Yeah. You know, and, and, and just, just to qualify that, that, that judgment you made about we've got better artists is I, I, I can't stress enough that there were limitations to, uh, printing possibilities and, you know that 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 the there were many many fine artists that if you were seeing them at the height of their powers from the seventies that if they were at the height of their powers now like I think my God if you could see if if Jack Kirby were alive and were capable of draw, of drawing for what can the the printing possibilities the paper today. and the inking and the shading and yeah yeah. Like, oh my God, what could Kirby have accomplished? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, a lot of the digital 
the digitally enhanced reproductions of the old art really is worth it, even if you have the old stuff still on the shelf. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. We could talk a little bit about the skin tone, too, because... Oh, uh, I am not happy reading that. They, they, <laughs> well, in, in defense, back in those days, oh, they didn't have a lot of choices for color. Yeah, I totally get that. And, and if you look at it, Shang-Chi is about the same color as Doc Savage in the Marvel books. Yeah, actually, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. But it's, it's clear it's not subtle. And, and you know, when I, I, I'm thinking about Blackjack Tar constantly, um, you know, referring to Shang-Chi. As a Chinaman. As, as a Chinaman, yeah. Sorry for that. I know it's a, it's a derisive term. Um, and I guess that's part of the character, but I don't know that you would, you would do that now. But I, what I, what I, I think is, you know, yeah, you want to read the origin and you want to look at Galassi's run. Are there storylines that really stand out? Yes. I don't think they'll be used cinematically, but you know, if someone wants to read Shang-Chi and really get a flavor for why this character was worth making a movie out of, which is clear. I mean, you watch the movie, but um, you know, what, what were the stories that, that stick in Rick Breschneider's mind? Right. So, and, and it's funny you mentioned Black Jack, Jack Tar because I was, I was going to point out that the first time we saw Dennis Nail and Smith, he had wooden feet. He got progressively better throughout the series. Yes, I've noticed that. About, it, about it again. He was eventually able to, able to stand and move around and actually go on missions too. So uh, I imagine there was some kind of uh, technology that, uh, it was way ahead of his time for him. And, and even even better, Blackjack Tar, who started almost bald, eventually grew his hair back. Ha! I haven't gotten that far. I've gotten to the part where Dennis Daniel Smith can walk. But So um, my, the, I, I wanted to, there was one point that when you think about Marvel Comics, one thing you're definitely going to think about is when's the first time, well, usually it's the first issue is when somebody from another Marvel Comics crosses over into your book. But it didn't happen for four issues for, for Shang-Chi. Do you know who it was? No. Man-Thing. Oh, yes. No, I remember that. Okay, wait. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, issue 19 is a splendid story. It's all, it's all in one story, all in one book. And a couple things happened because Man-Thing is the, the swamp thing, the man-thing, the, the swamp creature who whose touch burns those who feel fear. And there's a scene where, where Shang-Chi is stuck inside the man thing. He's like, he's got like gone through the center of him and just kind of gotten stuck in the muck, but he's not yeah. burning because he has no fear. Yeah. And that, that's, that book also has a, um, almost totally undisguised. They give him a, they give him a Manchu mustache of, uh, David Carradine as uh, Kwai Chang Kane, who uh, they, they call him uh, Lu Sun, but he's carrying the same bag over his shoulder that he does in the show, yes. and he's 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 the same kind of p passive. No, we don't fight if we don't have to kind of character. So it's it's a wonderful uh, issue nineteen. If you were just going to start in a book, nineteen would be a great one to start with, but. 20, the 20 is for the first book that really um, set the pace for probably the next 50 to 70 issues. They establish Shang-Chi as part of Nayland Smith's operatives. 
he had been offered it. He'd been kind of in and out of it, the couple couple issues. But this it is the it's got kind of a Nick Fury. It's like a Jim uh, Jim Steranko Nick Fury uh, villain in it, and a lot of the same um, kinds of kinds of things. But I don't recommend issue twenty. I would uh, there are much better stories that come on further. I did want to mention. Remember all the fifty cent giant size books? Yeah, because. Master of Kung Fu was all over the giant size books, and the uh, first one was the first appearance of Iron Fist in uh, Master of Kung Fu. But they never say his name because he's just in like a two-panel special thing about the Sha- the uh, the Shaolin Temple boxing stances, and they use Iron Fist standing there doing them with. Well, it was probably appearing. It was because I've, I've gone back and read that too. Uh, it's again one of those spotlight premiere, you know, whatever. Iron Fist showed up like a three issue tryout run before getting his own book. Uh, yeah, giant sized Spider Man had Master Kung Fu crossover to it. Probably the best of the the Stranko style villain. MI6 mission, let's go go fight one, was in Giant Size Master Kung Fu number two. It's noteworthy because he's it's the first time he, uh, Shang-Chi gets betrayed by a woman who is under the employ of Dennis Nayland Smith, and he's just enticed him into uh, being on a on a mission. But the, the character, I think you and I have talked about this character before, um, shows up in the third Giant Size Master Kung Fu, oddly enough, um, which is Clive Reston. Okay. Do you remember him? No. No. Okay. Clive Reston is the is the um, he's kind of a nod to Philip Jose Farmer's uh, World World Newton because he alludes to being the son of James Bond and a relative and and that he has uh, Sherlock Holmes in his lineage. And the first first time you see him, he's smoking a meerschaum pipe. My father was a special operative in Her Majesty's service, and then had. Had a license to kill, and you got to say if Engelhart was still in the book, I think that you and I were having a conversation along these lines uh, before we started recording. You know that it, it is one of those fascinating things. We've we've certainly focused on on people that are steeped in Philip Jose Farmer's work, and it has become so niche now um, that. But in the seventies, I. I don't think it can be under, you know overstated how influential uh, to comics at least and, and what the pulp legacy was doing yes. and what Bill Jose Farmer was doing yep. with Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life and Tarzan Alive and whatever other stories at the time he was he was salting around publications uh, telling these stories so I don't want to bog down issue by issue so you've got, got a good two more place I've got two more. So there was so the other noteworthy thing in Giant Size Master Kung Fu number three is that during the story they run across a man who is hung cross-like in a room, and and Fu Manchu explains to uh, to Shang Chi that this is the real Doctor Petri that the person he killed was someone that Fu Manchu had put <laughs> put there as a test of his son and. Uh, it, this is this is like such a big rewrite of uh, 
it's it's just uh, it's just silly because what it did was it allowed them to reunite all the characters from uh, from all the Sax Romer stuff again, and that was that's basically the core team from then on. But it was it's just kind of like really, and of course, yeah, uh, Shang Chi isn't isn't uh, relieved at this because he still killed some guy. He just doesn't know who it was now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the two stories that I want to recommend, and these are arcs, um, issues twenty nine through thirty one, is the Crystal Connection, and this is this is really a big James Bond, Nick Fury layouts by Ken Adams. Um, they aren't really by Ken Adams. Ken Adams is the guy who did all the set design for the James Bond films back in the seventies and eighties. Um, it introduces uh, Razor Fist. Who is in the film? Yes, and I'm going to say my greatest disappointment in the script is that when he first appears in the film, that Shang Chi didn't just say "Razor Fist," like he knew every operative. I, 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 you know. But anyway, that's just a dumb little thing. I thought, oh, I would have laughed so hard. But anyway, because who else is he? You know. <laughs> well, the the Razor Fist in the comics had no forearms. He had two swords. Yeah, and it was always like, well, how does he go to the bathroom? You know, it's the the uh, so just having one in the in the movies, I think, was actually an improvement. He he's obviously a scary looking guy in the comics, but at this point in the comics too, Galacy is full swing original Galacy. He's he's not trying to impersonate Stranko anymore, or Stranko or Starlin. Yeah, and this is this is a big. Uh, Three of you ex- extravaganza, and the other one that I want to end on is uh, just an amazing, amazing story uh, called Madman's Crown. It's issues thirty-three through thirty-five, and in this one, through most of this, through most of the book, and even after this, Shang Chi's out- outfit was often referred to as the pajamas because they were the very loose red um, gi with bell bottoms and uh, a yellow stripe around the cuffs with circles in them. Uh, it's very, it's, 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 uh, you'd either see him that or you'd see him without the top, but you'd always have the red pants with this. And he, they gave him a brand new outfit, which was still red, but you had probably the, the strangest affectation that actually really did work was that all of the operatives were wearing like inch and a half to two inch high boot, high heeled boots. And this, this, it's it's one of those crazy things from from the late seventies, and you just kind of go. If you, when you look at it, you go, "That makes no sense at all," but it looks so cool. We had, uh, we finally get Liko Wu, who I was disappointed we didn't get a Liko Wu in the film because that that was um, eventually she starts off as Reston's girlfriend. Eventually, um, she's she's uh, partners with Shang Chi. And you get a, a, a totally uh, what's the what's the character in Man with the Golden Gun? Uh, Scaramanga? No, not Scaramanga. The the sidekick. Oh, what is his name? But it's Herve Vichez. Yeah, Herve Vichez. So you get a robotic version of that. Um, only he's drawn he's he's drawn like a uh, like a much more Disney like character, uh, and eventually that that character does come back in the future too, but. Um, Aside from those kind of weird kind of nuances, it's a it's a terrific story, and um, 
that's where I'm going to leave it. Uh, going on in the future, the, uh, of course, Master Kung Fu fell out of favor through much of the time. He'd pop up every now and then. Um, he's been on a slow burn coming back through since like uh, the Marvel Now age. He's an, he was allowed to be an Avenger. He was he joined the Avengers. He joined the New Agents of Atlas. He was part of uh, Heroes for Hire for a while, and now he's in a series of uh, of limited run books that that have been really good. And the limited run books, of course, are are tying back more into the movie. There's more mysticism in them. There's more. Uh, there's less spy spy work, less superhero. Closer to the character, and I would say when they get to a Shang Chi sequel, who knows how long in the future yeah. that is. But with his sister, I I, I would say say that the two miniseries so far and counting that Gene Lin Yang is is writing uh, are going to be would be closer to what Shang Chi two might be. Yeah, plot wise, um, and. And, you know, this. when I say the following, this is uh, not a surprise in the comics industry. Um, you know, the, this is uh, what I'm about to say. You know, I, I think Gene Luen Young is the first Asian-American to write the character in all this time. And I think you're right. Just because there have not been that many, I guess I should say, high pro- profile enough. I'm, I'm very happy that... Gene is is on this book because I think he's he's rocking it, but also that you know he's a, he's a tremendous writer. And if you have not gone back and read other things by Gene Luen Young, um, I have a Dragon Hoops and Boxers and Saints on my shelf right now. Um, you know, oh, and, and the Superman, Saints. the Superman versus the Ku Klux Klan. Oh my God, that that book is tremendous. Thank you for reminding me because we go on the DC side, and I just want to say, like I, I, I mentioned the character early on. In this conversation, DC's version is Richard Dragon, Kung Fu fighter, and not not version, but that's their that's their big martial arts character, and that's Spike created by Denny O'Neill, and it was actually a novel Denny O'Neill had written, it, but it would never publish, but never published, and that he adapt, got to adapt for DC Comics. And it's not bad. It's just interesting the two different paths, you know, that the competitive competition, the distinguished competition, and and, Mar- and uh, Marvel took, you know. So um, both interesting to seek out. I would just think, for a modern reader's perspective, I do think what's happening with Shang Chi now in comics is probably going to be, you know, more riveting. But I really appreciate that we get to have this conversation. You could point out some things in the past, and I'll try to dig around and see where. If you're not going to buy it digitally, what trades have you know would have those storylines that you mentioned? Because uh, I'm I, I've got to guess. Just having walked into Earth Two a couple times to see behind glass, the the early appearances of Shang Chi, they're expensive. <laughs> if you wanted to get the original comics, uh, and, and I'm sure they're more expensive now than the last time they had them in stock behind glass. So uh, you know, I, I think. That uh, you know, it, trades or digital are, are are the answer, and there've got to be decent collections. And I'll, I'll give Marvel credit, even though I think that the trade paperbacks they're they've been pushing out lately have seemed very flimsy. I suspect both the cost cutting and and a supply chain issue. Uh, I cannot, you know, again, it's like oh, people are not aware of this, you know, really seeing enough of this connection. How difficult printing new. Uh, putting new books together 
is is getting right now. Hopefully, we're again seeing near the end of the of this as an issue, but it is. Um, and there have been some trade paperbacks that I picked up and then just held them. And like, if I open this book, it's going to fall apart on me. Yeah, the spine's going to break. Yeah, so you know, again, I, I can't. <laughs> Uh, Rick Brettschneider won on this one, and uh, the I've got two bookcases in my office, which the bottom shelves are uh, ex- almost exclusively devoted to omnibus editions, because at least those won't fall apart. <laughs> all, all the stories that I mentioned are in the Volume One Master of Kung Fu. I, I know. I, I realize that. I just think you know the thing for the for the casual, more casual reader is that they're expensive. They're just, I mean, I, I think it's the fourth world. Uh, you know, the Jack Kirby on the bus collecting all of the fourth world is like 150 bucks. Um, you know, and that that's an awful lot to drop. And I, mean, I know you get a discount in places and, and you know, your comic shop might be able to cut you some kind of deal. But that's still, even if you get down to 75, if you go half price, it's still 75 bucks. Great comics, some of the best in comics history. Uh, or most influential, certainly, and you know we'll we'll be definitely circling back around in, and I guess November when uh, Eternals comes out, you know, because you can talk about Jack Kirby's work there. And that's not Fourth World; that's what he was doing for Marvel. But uh, you know, we'll have that conversation. But as we leave this off, just a, uh, there was one other thing that I I had to tie back into the movies, um, and we we started to mention Iron Fist, and during the time that they brought out. Iron Fist and and Master Kung Fu. Iron Fist was really the one that was in this spiritual, magical environment. His, his he had mm-hmm. powers. He had powers. Um, yeah. And, and they botched him on on uh, on Netflix. Part of it was everyone saying, "Well, why is he a white guy?" Well, he's a white guy because he was a white guy in the original comic. You know, it wasn't. It was never meant it was meant to be no no, no. I, and i know that and we and we had that conversation a while ago and i'll say that, yes that is true all that is true let us be aware that that was the 70s and that and if if that character were being created now it might be something different i do think the film alluded to that because i'm i'm gonna bet that fat cobra made an appearance in the in the arena well this is this is my point they have now put Shang Chi into a into the same mystical spotlight that Iron Fist originally was, and he's never had that. There's there's been like a handful of points where at one point he was given pin particles and became a giant and fought a dragon, um, but he's never had powers. He's occasionally had Tony Stark give him something to to play with, and at the movie he he ended up with the Ten Rings. So he's he's got massive powers that he'd never yeah, had he in, the comic. in the comics. And, yeah. and and he's basically taken over the uh, so he's basically got the iron fist and the the uh, the mystical village uh, retreat and so there's there's I believe that the Shang Chi movie is a death death knell for any additional iron fist. No, no, no. So at the end of the in the credits, they thanked Matt Fraction. Yes, and I'm. I'm positive that's because they knew they were they were taking from the the series that he did the with uh, Daniel Aha, Tony Aha. Yeah, it uh, was the the all the champions of the different cities. The Immortal Iron Fist. That was the that was the name of that series. Um, and 
I, I do think that they have not decided what what from shall we say Netflix um, will exist now that it's all come back under one um, you know one banner one production company whereas it, it people still may not be aware that, that that what was on TV used to be a different studio it is all under Disney all under Marvel but still a different studio um, and so I I think because really the T the Netflix series was left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths and not just because, um, you know, not because of, of the contract, you know, we, I don't want to debate what, why that part was a controversy. The series wasn't very good. The guy playing iron fist wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, so I think that's why I, I think in the arena, Fat Cobra makes an appearance. So I, I think those characters may show up. And, and I don't think it's a death knell. I think that Iron Fist can show up again. I think that they should do what they what they have done, what David Walker did in Power Man and Iron Fist when he had a, a short run on that. Um, and, and what I think the, the Defenders television series did was they pretty much made Dan, Daniel Rand an idiot. And I think you can make him comedic and and learn responsibility uh, through the, you know, but I I would agree with you that that Shang Chi has filled a lot of the space, taken up a lot of the space that Iron Fist would have had. And I think it was a more it was a much more impressive thing that Shang Chi became an Avenger without any powers. It's a Hawkeye yeah. thing. It's a it's it's. It's a skill thing that he can stand beside Thor and Iron Man and everybody else. I don't even like calling him a superhero anymore. I, I, I think, you know, he's an action hero in the way, you know, Charlton Comics used to say that. They, they, were, they had action heroes, people that didn't really have powers uh, except for Captain Adam. And you look at, uh, you know, the question, it, he wasn't powered. He had a mask that took his face away, you know. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, we've, we've certainly seated. You've got a lot of reading to do, listeners. Um, but you were talking about, uh, before we started recording, that you've been getting the ICB2 magazine. And uh, you wanted to talk about sales. You know, this has been a difficult year. And uh, I do want to, uh, you know, I think we're going to have a retailer on. Uh, I just haven't had a chance to really ma make a connection with one to, to guest. But uh to talk about it, but you can tell me what, what you'd like to blow my mind with about sales. Yeah, so um, this is a this was an article about comics and graphic novel sales during the pandemic year, um, and you look at you look at they have a bi channel across time chart that I'm going to paint in your mind, listener. Basically, we had um, comic stores back in 2016 up a full full third over what was being sold in like book channels like you know, Barnes and Noble and other st other stores. And I think book channels also probably includes sales through Amazon. Um, they they're not breaking. I think it does. They're yeah. not distinguishing online versus uh, brick and mortar. So and then uh, you have digital download is is like I'm, I'm I'm describing the pie chart. So it's like about a sixth of comic stores in 2016. And now, and going across uh, 2017, 2018, we see the comic stores dropping, the book channels rising, 
to the point where book channels actually overtook comic stores in 2019, just by a little bit, and then by a full, you know, I'm going to call it somewhere between a third and, yeah, it's about a third, about a third of the bar chart for um, for book channels. So it's a, that's uh, uh, two-thirds of what book channels are doing are being done in comic stores. But what's creeping up through all this is digital sales, digital download sales, which come up at about a third of comic book store sales. So the real numbers here, the total sales for 2020 were 1.28 billion for comics. That's for the whole year, but that's that's uh, graphic novels and, and... That's U.S. dollars. Yeah, it's U.S. dollars. Okay. So book channels came in at number one, of course, at 645 million. Um, comic stores are at 440 million. The digital downloads are actually up to 160 million. Now, uh, and then other channels represents another 35 million, and I imagine that's like subscriptions. So, yeah. Um, the thing about digital downloads, and, and what I'd really like to have clarification here, but I don't, is I, I don't know if they're counting redemption codes in Marvel and DC books. Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, I wouldn't count that as a sale, though. I mean, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. It's not a separate... I, I would just like clarity on that point, because yeah. it, it, it could be significant, because... Pretty much every, except for some special issues every now and then, every comic you buy from Marvel has a digital redemption code. Yeah. But yeah. 160 million uh, of, of comics, that looks, and, it's, and the thing is, if you look at the bar chart, um, the, the comic store is not being eaten by that 160 million because the book channels ha are going up, up, up. I mean, remember, they overcame comic stores in 2019. They just overcame in 2019, and then in 2020, they were a full third uh, more than... Um, well, and, and in a lot of the country, and I think it is still true, it is easier to get to a bookstore... Indeed. ...and pick up a trade paperback there than it is... Harder to get to the bookstores, too. It was, but there were more of them, like a Barnes & Noble... Yeah. You know, there, there's always been been more there. There, and, and I know there's a chain like in in uh, the South that that is sort of picking up trade paperbacks in the last couple of years. I'm fascinated by the digital um, one because I don't think I've ever heard uh, a number for their sales before, and usually they've been pretty quiet about that. Like we, you know, we can say speculate a character like Ms. Marvel. The common wisdom is uh, Kamala Khan was not selling necessarily well in comic shops but digitally because a whole new you know generation is reading is consuming on comics uh, on digital platforms um but that's why ms marvel took off it was, it was digital sales but they never said the numbers and even when you see that number there are a lot of comics like comiXology originals that are only available digitally yes and you know so so don't think that that's a big uh you know that that's Marvel and DC, and that your favorite creator is making a lot of money. So I go back to when you when we are all able to, and in some places you can 
go to a comics convention or whatever you, you meet, you know, anything that you can buy directly, support your favorite artist, your favorite writer uh, directly. Uh, that's and if you can, you know, that's that's my preferred method as well. I buy a lot of stuff at conventions. Last couple of years, I've saved a lot of money because I haven't been able to go to conventions. But um, but digital also it, is easier to get a hold of for some of the smaller studios, like TKO Studios. It's it's you can't find those in stores. And in some stores, but not yeah. And then there's a bad idea. Well, no, bad idea is not digital. I will say, uh, can I can I plug myself because I just discovered that digital is the only way you can you can get go to Comicsology and you can get the greatest American hero that I co-wrote with William Cap. Um, you know, there never was a trade paperback, but there is a digital version of it. Is it a um, trade, or you buy all the individual issues? I'm sorry, what? Is it a trade? Digital? It, it's it's considered a trade. I don't understand because you know I, I I buy them individually, but it's like the last time I looked, it's like three ninety nine to get those three issues. And you know there are things I would certainly wish at the time I had done been able to do differently with that story. Um, but it's still cool that it's there and people can can check that out. But there are a lot of books I've been I, I've been buying a thing called Halloween Man. Uh, by a creator named Drew Edwards that's kind of a cool, quirky thing, you know, that I don't know that it was it would get major distribution because he's doing it independently. But I can pick that up on on Comixology. So I've been I've been buying a lot of stuff, trying to support directly that way. The other thing that we that there are two other movements that we're both gonna have to just check out. I don't know that they're for us. Uh, again, Webtoon. Uh, oh yeah, both DC. Uh, well, DC's gone to Webtoon and just launched a Batman, uh, Batman comic, and that's a weird model. I still don't quite get, but I know a couple years ago they made a big push at Comic Comic Con, or a few years ago because a couple years ago there was no Comic Con, um, you know. But but uh, it's kind of a scrolling thing online, yeah. I, yeah. you know. So I've read some stuff because there's a great um, there's a great Korean series on Netflix, horror series, uh, Sweet Home, uh, that was based on a, on a webtoon series and, and Kingdom. Uh, if you haven't watched the, the, the Korean historical zombie drama on, on Netflix, it, it, it's astoundingly beautiful. Um, you know, so, so I, that's how I, I started reading them. And then DC's made a move there. I haven't read their thing, but I did notice on Marvel Comics Unlimited, they're, they're really pushing their infinite comics again. And when I open one up, uh, it's it's Jeff about some kind of anthropomorphic shark from uh, Deadpool. Uh, the timing again, any relationship to King Shark Shark is uh, purely coincidental. Uh, but the Infinity the or Infinite comics read exactly like a webtoon. Yeah, it's it's actually um, you'll find a lot of anime in that style because it was originally a Korean format. Oh no no no! That's what I'm saying. Yes, I mean because because Netflix is, has has delved deeply into adapting things from webtoon from Korean comics because even though it's a Korean, the, these the the Sweet Home and and Kingdom are in Korean, Netflix paid for it, paid for them out of the out of the web you know webtoon adaptation. So what I don't understand is their sales model and if that's included in what you just talked about. The other major play being made right now is Substack. Which James Tynan the Fourth, who is currently ripping up Batman, 
is leaving Batman and has promised now uh, once his contracts are up for certain runs, like with Boom Studios and so forth, uh, and he's got a thing with Black Label, um, the nice house on the lake. Uh, once those are done, he is strictly Substack, and a lot of major creators uh, are going that way. So it's an online, direct, creator-owned subscriber based it's a technology and it's it's was originally done for newsletters yeah no i i get the the really broad strokes but what is interesting is whoever owns substack um made huge deals to steal away a lot of major major talent they're actually Um, they're actually local to uh, san francisco i think well not local to me anymore So, you know, we follow. So, you know, comics are alive and well. That's why I, every time I hear the death knell, anytime you read some history of comics, you read that everybody at every point in comics history has thought, well, this job will last me five years. And then once this goes out of business, I, I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> it's like uh, I recall reading that in Marvel, the untold story. That's uh, both Marv Wolfman and Len Wein say that. And I'm like, hmm. I met them long after that, and they were very successful. So, uh, yeah, so that's it uh, for this week. And, and, and thank you for, for rejoining us and, and uh, hope we're, we're moving forward again. I know I've said that several times the past, past year, uh, but, you know, that, that's the way life has been. Chaos keeps happening, and we keep just bouncing back. So thanks for listening this far. Uh, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can certainly follow us on Twitter at Fanboy Planet. You can follow us on Facebook at Fanboy Planet and Instagram at Fanboy Planet. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to... Use your powers for good. And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreat.com. Luke, L-U-K-E-S-K-I dot com.